everybody, and welcome to Paint a Bread Quarterly Slush Pile. Um, once again, we're doing all kinds of special things today. We have a really full house, both in the house and remotely. Um, uh, Paint a Bread Quarterly, we're that podcast that lifts the veil on the editorial process and even lets you see how much we laugh during an editorial meeting. That's who we are. So um, thank you for listening today. And let me just go around the room and say who's who. And I'll start with myself because that's the kind of girl I am. I'm Kathleen Volk Miller, and I run the um, publishing program at Drexel University and um, am co-editor of the Paint and Bread Quarterly. And to my right is a newbie. Hi. Woo. <laughs> I'm Miranda. I'm a senior at Drexel, and I am an intern for the publishing group. Okie dokie. <laughs> and my name is Tim Fitz. I've been reading with the Tanner Bride Quarterly for about three years. This is my fourth year, and I teach here at Drexel University. Uh, I teach freshman writing classes, and for those listeners in Korea, my novel, The Soju Club, will be coming out next week. Woohoo! Wow. So, come tell me that. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Eichert, and I'm a third-year English major at Drexel, and I'm the current editorial assistant for Painted Brad Quarterly. Woohoo! <laughs> And Joe's here, and I didn't say where we were. We are back in, we've uh, absconded a teacher's office. We're in oh, an office, nice. not even mine, but it's bigger and it has windows. So um, I never get sunlight during the day here in McAllister Hall at Drexel University. So that's kind of awesome. Um, and we have our two remote co-editors out there in the world. Jump in, one of you. Hi, it's Jason Schneiderman. I am back at the Yellow Parsons table in Brooklyn. Um, and I am an associate professor of English at the Borough of Manhattan Community College. And I think and I've been I, a bride for like 15 years now. It's been yeah, a long time. Yeah, we're yeah. working that out, right? I was like, 50, we're like, is that 15 gotta years? Be. It's got to be. It's got to be. Wow. Um, I didn't realize you were going to do the math, Jason. Jeez. All right. I, so I try I'm, not to do math. I try to avoid math. Jason and I um, were lucky enough to spend a couple of days together uh, a few weeks ago when he came to visit me. This is Marion. I'm at NYU Abu Dhabi. Um, I've been co-editor of PBQ for a, a little while now. Um, and I am uh, sitting here in Abu Dhabi with the cat and the cuckoo clock and awaiting the arrival of the entire uh, staff and faculty of the Yale NUS. So that's the Yale Singapore Writers Center. So I've got Robin Hemley, who our listeners might know. Um, he's a magnificent uh, creative nonfiction writer and used to be at the helm of the Iowa Writers Workshop um, for creative nonfiction. I've got Heidi Stala coming and I've got two emerging, emerging writers, Laurel Fantuzo, and Larry Yukil, um, among other wonderful people. And I say that to you because I'm actually looking at my phone to see when they arrive, because I wanna make sure they figure out where to stay on campus. <laughs> so, you know, many administrative things all at once. And it's a beautiful yeah. campus. That's a really, really nicely constructed campus. Noted. <laughs> okay. All right, well, we're in one of the oldest buildings at Drexel, so I can't really relate right now. 
Cinder um, <laughs> block walls, 1967 or so construction. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you for not doing the math, Marion, on how long we've been involved in Painted by Quarterly. And mm -hmm. um, we're going to jump right in. We have poetry today. And um, I wanted like to remind our listeners that the poems are available at pbqmag.org. So you can read along or read ahead or read after you listen. Just read. Um, who'd like to start off? We have Taylor Altman, How to Break Without Falling Apart. Who'd like to read that for us? I can do it. Great. Cool. Our brave noob Miranda. <laughs> How to break without falling apart. She trades in antiques at the end of Adeline Street. Her shop is like the inside of a dream with carpets and African masks and rings and earrings encased in glass as though within a tide pool. From the armoire of her mouth, all sorts of things come out in the Kentish accent 30 years in California hasn't shaken. What, lives she has, what lives she has led, what other people she has been, how she learned to break without falling apart. A cool breeze comes through the back door from the alleyway, and she says she works as a nurse for the elderly to afford a new passport with her maiden name and to fix her teeth, small spans of darkness between gold. Fabulous, thank you. How to break without falling apart. What did you think of that line? Or oh, those lines? Because they, they felt too familiar to me. I mean, I, I sort of wanted like a, like I love to fix her teeth, small spans of darkness between gold. Mm -hmm. and, and somehow like breaking without falling apart seemed, um, I don't know, it, it felt too familiar to me. It, it reminded me of that song, um, How Many Times Can I Break Till I Shatter? Whatever, mm. by like OAR or something. Mm -hmm. It was too vague. Yeah, um, that those two lines, how she learned to break without falling apart, and then a few lines of what lives she has led. Um, as the reader, I wanted more of an explanation. Like, why is this person unique? Like, how did she learn to break without falling apart? Um, and I kind of, when I started reading that, this poem, I expected to get that idea from the title, and I did not. Yeah. Miranda, was that you? I, I, I want to, yes, Miranda, I think everything that you're said is, is right on the nose because there's something that feels like, like a seventies, um, like, I don't know, like power ballad in this, right? <laughs> How to break yeah. without falling apart. So that, and that's unfortunate because I think also part of the charm of the piece is, um, about dislocation and about, um, being in, in, you know, like building lives in strange places and then this sense of this, this woman who's a shopkeeper uh, at, at a, a shop full of curiosities that she's willing to tell stories about that she's perhaps collected, right? Um, and then the way she reveals herself through her accent and through the story she tells, there's something really charming about the way that's all fitting together and then it gets encrusted with something that flattens it right so that that notion of breaking without falling apart about you know moving and being transient but laying roots in other places in order to become right something 
whole and complete or different from what you think you are. Like I, there's, there's so much of this that I actually love and yet the, there's, it, it becomes um, flattened by lines like breaking without falling apart. Erin, what did you think of the armoire of her mouth? Um, so the harsh part of my brain wants to say that sounds like a lampshade of desire. Um, <laughs> like that, that rhetorical structure yeah. of like, you know, the, the, uh, the sort of momentousness of the image, but constructed through the use of that preposition. Like, and uh, yeah, there, there's a, that's somewhat problematic. And yet I do like the idea that her mouth is full of secrets, that it's this sort of like, you know, um, you know, a piece of furniture you would find in a, in a shop like this. And then it mm -hmm. opens up into speech. It opens up into narrative. It opens up into these strange stories. Right. So I can, yeah. I want to forgive it a, a little bit. You know, no, cause I, I love the way, like on, on one hand, I sort of love and hate the way that it makes her furniture. Like right. it's simultaneously one of the most interesting moves in the poem, but also yeah. one of like the most dehumanizing moves. Yeah, but remember, she owns, but she owns the shop. Or as, yeah. as we, she trades in antiques means that she's the shop owner. So if right. she's making an armoire of her mouth, I have less of a problem with that objectification because yeah. of the work at the top of the poem, right? Um, but yeah, I guess not for me. It's actually the rhetorical structure of it, right? The, the sort of from the armoire of her mouth. I would but that it said she makes an armoire of her mouth all sorts of things come out, right? Like that would be diff a little bit different, right? It would, it would give her uh, the agency. Right. And right. it would, it would, yeah. And it would, it would also give you more, cause I don't, I, I, I still don't have a sense of her, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm, I don't have a sense of who she is. I, I think, I think for me, like these details and stuff, I, I like it from the beginning. I don't like the title, like everybody else. It sounds like a song. Um, but her shop is like the inside of a dream. I love when you wander in those shops where you're just transported somewhere else and think, oh my gosh, I could spend half a day here. Um, but I don't know enough about her either. Like we get some d details. I'm not, I'm not getting an empathetic arc with her and you know, we're calling her the shop owner. And at the end it says, she says she works as a nurse for the elderly. So she's doing both things, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought that was a second character. Oh. Well, all of the images come in the shop and then after with the darkness between gold and all that stuff. Before you get, she learned to break without falling apart. Uh, she writes, Kentish Kent accent, 30 years in California, hasn't shaken what lives she has led, what other people she has been. That's really the poem is in there. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So all these other details are just details that give us these images, and the images are great, but then the fuel for it is somewhere invisible that we can't latch onto, so we don't know what to do with the images once we've got them. I like the details, but they're not adding right. up. Yeah. 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 How do you see that it's a separate character? I'm not sure, but I, I felt a cool breeze comes through the back door, like someone else opened the back door and another, I don't know. I don't know why I thought it was, thought, saw that. I, I will say that wanting, that, that wanting to afford a new passport with her maiden name is so beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that was just stunning. I mean, the notion of, of kind of putting yourself through these like second labors 
um, in addition to shop owning, just to restore an official version of your earlier self. Like I thought that did so right. much. Like those, those last five lines are just, I think, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I knew somebody once who couldn't afford to change her name and it was hard for her. You know, a thing in the Soviet Union. Get it together to change your name, and she really won. Yeah. You, you had to like pretend to lose your passport because um, you ran out of room to rewrite it if you if you got divorced too many times. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, and it's such a beautiful. I mean, that's where it kind of does the work of talking about the past lives she's led, right? Like the the, the passport with the maiden name does that work mm -hmm. of telling you here's someone who. Has, has fundamentally changed their identity in these different ways that have to do with nationality, that have to do with marriage, that have to do with um, belonging. I mean, that, that I think just does so much, that does all of the work that sort of doesn't quite get done in um, you know, just stating that she's been other people or stating that she learned how to break without falling apart. Yeah. Well, you think we're ready to vote? I think so. Are we voting to vote? Okay. One, two, three, vote. And we know what's going on in the room. We're waiting for Joe to tell us the remote people. And this one's not going to get in. So uh, we do have another one from Taylor Altman, but how to break without falling apart is not going to get in. You know what, Jason? Uh -huh. Maybe Taylor should take a look at those last five lines. Start there, build up around there, and, and yeah. you know. Well, um, I, I was going to say, uh, we had this meeting. Um, we had a New York staff meeting about a week ago, and we were looking at a poem, and there were two lines where we were kind of like, nah. And I actually, I mean, it turned out that the person we were discussing is someone that I, I know from a conference from many years ago. So I just called her. And I was like, yeah. hey. And I read her the poem with the two lines cut. And, <laughs> uh, how does that sound? And she said, it sounds great to me. I didn't miss them at all. And yeah. sometimes there are edits that happen. But, but in, in, the, in the structure of a podcast, we can't call someone up and be like, you know, hey. Yeah, now that, would be the that would be interesting. Um, as we've said on air, we definitely ask writers for late edits all the time and um, are, you know, are happy to report that Poets are, are uh, very amenable to the changes. And it's frequently exactly what you just said, Jason, cutting off the bottom. But in the case of that last poem, we went the bottom at the top, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I will also say, I, just, I was just in a situation where um, I sent an editor work and there was, I, I kind of had like the one poem where I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know what's going on with this one. And he edited it and sent it back to me and said, you know, what do you think of these edits? And I was like, you are an editorial god. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, I, like, I am filled with so much gratitude for yeah. the way that my work was edited that um, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a little sad that we often don't have time to do that kind of work because we're so overwhelmed with all of our other obligations. Like I, sure. I actually, on both sides of that editorial um, relationship, I, I think there's so much gratitude and respect and love that goes into it. Oh my goodness, absolutely. I know in my own work too, I love when I read something after an editor got to it yeah. and I don't even know where the edits are. Now this is prose, <laughs> so that's harder, right? But like yeah. what magic they, they work, they can work, you know? Yeah. Um, if you don't even know what was cut and it still reads the way you intend, it's, it's amazing. 
So um, we have another one here from Taylor Altman, and I would like to say that um, this, the construction of this, the formatting, is um, uh, three line stanzas with with a uh, line two and line three, a single tab and a double tab, right? So it's like the staircase kind of look. So um, again, if you want to just visually take a glance at your screen, wherever you might be, not if you're driving, not if you're driving. <laughs> Do not look at your screen if you're driving. Pull over to a rest stop. If pull you're on the I-95, just pull into the next one and take a look. But, but yeah, if you're That's driving. Watch your flashers are for. <laughs> When you need to read a poem on the side of the road. Wait, stop it. Do you remember the post, the um, bumper stickers that we had? It was like, I'm sorry I cut you off, but you weren't my poetic vision. Do you remember yes. that? Yes. Yes. I think we, we, perhaps we, we need to resurrect the bumper stickers. I think that's before my time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do not remember that bumper yeah. sticker. There were bumper um, stickers. And warning, driver carries poetic license. Yes, that's it. Those oh, are the two. Yeah. All right, we have to. We have to. We need the vintage PBQ stickers. Yeah, we could bring those back. I don't know. Does that Washington D.C. driving around that circle? Does it relate to AWP this year? I don't know. We'll think about that. What doesn't relate to AWP? Stickers are cheap. Well, I'm just trying to think. Where are we? Where we could be like handing it out? You know, where is it a carnival? Um, okay, so who would like to read Contra Mundum? I'll try. Um, right. And I, I want to say I had to I had to look the title up only because my um, Latin is a little rusty. So contramundum against the world that means contramundum mm. under under the burnt out tree where the nightingale sings where a magpie made its nest of wedding rings the singed olive trees that once bore waxy fruits where are you John Walker Lynn now called Suleiman rocks back and forth reading his Quran in Terre Haute. The tile halls of the madrasa are empty. The fountain stops. Somewhere, you are just waking up in some other city, someone else's skin. Our house was filled with books, corners of pages torn off for gums, small surface wounds that bloomed like carnations. Everything is complicit. A bird goes up the scale, notes like glass beads crushed underfoot. It's you and me against the world. In the bazaar, we pass the birds in cages, seed covered, shit covered, the white bars scratched to copper, clocks going off in every direction, faces faded and filled with sand. You read the papers every morning. The news was neither good nor bad. You had been in Srebrenica. Srebrenica? IEDs exploded in the streets. Bombs full of nails. A little boy was breathing blood. There was nothing we could do for him. His lungs expanded like balloons. You proposed that night, gave me the ring from the magpie's nest, then disappeared. So many nights I watched you fight sleep. So many nights you woke up drenched in sweat as the imam's cry flew over the rooftops and minarets. You said, Lynn's father visits him in prison. He believes in his innocence. I watched hit your hips grow wider. The age butts appear on the backs of your hands. I painted and painted this fragment of window. Finally, the urgency of lovemaking left us. But our names remain on the lapels of your books, hybrids of our names, Punnett Squares. Thank you. 
Thank you. Beautiful reading. Except I don't know how to say Srebrenica. Oh, it's Srebrenica. Srebrenica. It's, uh, it's in the former Yugoslavia. Of it was course. the site of the massacre sure. of, Muslim, of Muslim Bosnians. Yes, yes, that was I when think. the UN just let them go through and kill everyone because the blue helmets weren't allowed to fight. Yes. I mean, and we made, like the world watched as, as Muslims were just massacred. Right. And, and is it, I think it's Lawrence Weschler who has an amazing essay called An Anatomy Lesson about the War Crimes Tribunal, yeah. about Srebrenica. But for some reason, and I, I will confess it, like seeing it spelled out in the line, my, sure. my, I couldn't cognitively get it. Like I can't get that, the sound of it in my ear. So apologies to the poet. And otherwise, a freaking masterful poem. That was mm -hmm. a delight to read out loud. <laughs> I feel like all those solutions for the first poem are in this poem. Mm. We get all of that information about characters. It's interesting because this is actually more ambitious, right? Like uh -huh. this has this kind of global yeah. and personal sweep. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if the global kind of outshined the personal in the poem, just with the relationship happening in between this historical kind of explanation. There, I feel like the personal got lost and I just didn't really care about the relationship. I agree. I had no empathy for the personal relationship. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, maybe that, I don't think that's the intent. I don't think that the story is about the relationship. You know, from the title and from all the details, that, that's a, you know, a, a side note that you proposed that night, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, I agree that the focus shouldn't be the relationship, but I also don't understand what that personal relationship is bringing to the rest of the poem. I mean, I wasn't sure what the personal was. I mean, I, I think I understand that John Walker Lynn um, is here, that the, the, the mention of Sebrenica is a way of understanding um, a feeling of the world against you that leads you to the kind of radicalization that John Walker Lind underwent, right? That like watching the Bosnian massacre, that slaughter in Separatnica can make you feel my only option is to become, if, if there are only the slaughterers and the slaughtered, right? I have to be the slaughterer. Mm. And I, but I wasn't sure, is that how you guys read it? I mean, I don't know if I'm kind of off on my own. Um, but then I'm not sure how that fits into what's going on with the personal. Like, like I mean, at the, at the beginning, there's almost this kind of like cherry orchard moment where there's this, you know, the burnt out tree, the, this kind of mythic magpie with the wedding ring nest and the olive trees. And I just wasn't, like, I don't really understand the personal relationship to place that seems like to sort of be grounding the poem. Um, what about the fact that the, I don't know if I have the answer to this, but that the personal relationship is the constant. They stay together for years and years and years, right? Yeah. Um, how does that inform the poem that during this tumultuous time, these two found each other and they're still yeah. together? Well, and also that there's an, un, like, like if you think about 
you know, like a massacre. Um, if you think about uh, radical Islam, that these are things which make the existence of a house that has been in a family and bears memories of people growing up and growing old and dying. And that it, it's impossible um, in the, like, I mean, you know, like there are no houses in Syria right now where you can have like generations going back and looking at where they, you know, read their books as children or marked their mm-hmm. as, as they were growing up. And so I mean, I thought that that's what was going on with the house, that there's this way in which that possibility of generational peace is what's being torn out of the world. So it's, it's that notion too of, of something being torn out of the world that feels like part of the motive of the poem is a, against that tearing, right? It's a right. kind of um, spirit of reconciliation or a spirit of, of healing inside of this, right? Which um, is part of the reason why I'm like ready to take the relationship as a kind of emblem rather than a, like I, I need the particularities of the relationship between these two, pe- the, these two people, especially though, that one of them gets named, right? That John Walker Lind is named, right? Um, that it's it's much more it, about the sort of having passed through these experiences and ar- arriving in a kind of. Um, I mean, I'm sort of making up the story that they're like journalists or war reporters. IEDs exploded in the streets, bombs full of nails, a little boy with breathing blood. There's nothing we could do for him. His lungs expanding like balloons. You proposed that night. Gave yeah. The magpies. Now. So there's that. There's this way in which um, they are visitors to this war-torn space, but not inhabitants. Or one way or the other, they're witness to it, right? And right. that it's something about like like bearing witness to it and and like bearing it going forward, right? Like that's that pushes them into this old age, right? That pushes yeah. them into uh, the, 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 the privilege of reverie, right? So th- that feels like uh, against the world as well. Like the world is, is flying apart its, its fucking seams, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet there is this capacity to note detail, capacity to note relationship, to be able to name things. And perhaps that's sufficient enough to like conjure the desire for reconciliation, for healing, for something, for life yeah i think we need a clarification though i think marion you said that one of the lovers is named john walker lynn i don't think that's one of the lovers i think he's an actual person he is mm. oh yeah Ooh, I, I, I don't think one of the lovers is john walker lynn i think marion said something that kind of gave off that vibe um miranda you looked him up i did i looked him up and oh what can you say he's the american taliban yeah, uh, oh, he was, that's, he, he got was arrested it. in 2001 and, you know, put in prison for being a terrorist. Um, he's an American citizen who was arrested in 2001. But um, but on the topic of that, like, the us against the world kind of thing, like how everything's falling apart, there is that line um, on the second page where um, after you proposed that night, gave me the ring from the magpie's nest, then disappeared. Like, that threw me off especially for the end, because if there's a disappearance happening, then how are they growing old together or mm-hmm. like what's happening there? I was unsure if that was, I felt that was almost like a, like a disappearance of 
not a physical disappearance, but a, like a metaphorical, almost because like later the one person says, finally, the urgency of lovemaking left us. Yeah. So I feel like it, I don't know. Yeah. That again, just, you know what? I was still on the street with the bloody boy and everything. Yeah, I thought yeah. that he, that um, he proposed and disappeared in the chaos of what was going on in that night. Because the very next line says, so many nights I watched you fight sleep. So I don't think there was a separation. I thought the disappearance was when they got him. Yeah. And then, but before that, before they, the, they picked him up, he must have been struggling for, I mean, he must have, you don't just become an American Taliban without struggling for. I mean, I don't, the relationship about isn't about. I don't think we're talking about Lynn in that moment though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, right before that, um, how the news was neither good nor bad, but then you get all this imagery of bombs exploding and the massacre and the boy whose lungs are filling up with blood. Like, I, I don't know how I see that, neither good nor bad. I mean, it feels pretty bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to let go of the boy. Yeah. What, you want to? I didn't want to let go. I, um, want more because, time with him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt, I don't know. There was nothing we could do for him. Yeah, maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I want to go back to Jason talked about the inability for this household to house generations of people, and and that's directly related to that last line. Uh, but our names remain on the lapels of your books, hybrids of our names, Punnett squares, and, and those are the uh, diagrams that biologists use to determine your genetic code, like your or breeding, you know, like yeah. what this person and this person. Um, uh, and so that's interesting too, I think, and speaks to the whole, I kind of like the way it rounds up the whole poem that what would these two make, you know, is yeah. a good question at the end. I don't know, is that crazy? No, I think that, I think that's really accurate. That, that there's this, it sort of moves into the space of reproduction that has been entirely absent in the poem. That we kind of have these lovers, but we have no sense of, um, we have these lovers growing old together, but no sense of, of children. And then Punnett squares that like, I mean, in a weird way, it's this, it's, you know, the, the library becomes the heritage. Okay, but wait, now I have to say, like, I, I'm so glad to hear this poem discussed because for like, honestly, like I skipped past John, John Walker Lynn, totally forgot, like totally didn't register that he's American Taliban. So his story is from what, like 2001? They right? captured him in like the first incursions into Afghanistan, like shortly after 9-11, like that was- uh... Okay, so, it's, so that whole first move is like a collage of images that includes John Walker Lynn, right? And then the, and then somewhere you are just waking up, right? So it's like this sort of wide arcing gesture of a collage of images that arrives with some, to the you. You are waking up in some other city, someone else's skin. Our house was filled with books, corners of pages torn off for gum. And then we're in this sort of specificity of their relationship, right? So for that to then end on the, on the Punnett Square, which really is a question of genetic predisposition, what is this poem pondering? Like what exactly is, is the question it raises around Punnett squares, right? Like if that's, the, if that's the image it lands on, what's, 
I'm I'm curious to know what your your thoughts are, are about that. I'm confused with the phone because the John Walker land is so huge and it's such a profound image. And then he returns at the end, and then with the boy with the bleeding lungs, and then you have the relationship. And those three images, the two John Walker land, and then the IEDs with the boy with the blood, are so huge. I'm not sure if I care anymore about the relationship. Mm -hmm. I agree. But I like, but it's, I almost don't want to say that because I like the things that are working in the poem so much. <laughs> and I want to know, and I, you know, I haven't thought about John Walker Lynn so much, for so long. I remember how much hatred there was, you know, uh, directed at him when he was captured. And I, I remember thinking, seeing him on TV, that, that there, there needs to be some other point of view that uh, describes what sort of trauma he must have witnessed or some, what happened to him to make him an American Taliban. Because nobody just changes like that. What was the experience? Did he know he was getting involved with Al-Qaeda? But there seemed to be so much mystery that was just, uh, just ignored. And he was just American Taliban and they needed to kill him. You know, it was like, it was such a rush. Everything was such a rush to judgment after 9-11. Um, so now he's back in this poem. And I remember all those feelings that I was feeling when I initially saw him that I didn't know were sort of unresolved. And I, I think I'm game for the relationship if there's just a little more connecting, a little more connected tissue between the the bloody lungs and John Walker Land and the people. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I felt the relationship almost trivialized the historical, not even, I don't, historical, it was like, you know, felt like 10 years ago, it's still happening today. Um, but I felt like it trivialized those, the other things. So I don't know, the relationship mm -hmm. kind of disappointed me. And it's you say almost 10 years ago because it's almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And I mean, but I mean, like I, IEDs exploding. Well, right. So, yeah. But for you and I reading this, since we're so much younger, I'm almost 22. You just turned 20. Yeah. Like we had to look up this story rather than like find it, like remember it. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of like contextual. Thing. What if I go opposite world of you though, and and romanticize this? The relationship mm -hmm. is is for me that a relationship can happen in this chaos. I don't think it trivializes the horror that's going on. Relationships still happen. And it, and it isn't like that it's this wonderful romantic visions of, of uh, what did we have in our Bora Bora poem, <laughs> right? It, you know, it's, it's very real and there's age spots and they don't have sex anymore. And it's not some beautiful glowing relationship with these two people stuck it through. I agree with you on that you know? point. And I think that like, of course, you know, like life goes on, you know, and you have to make yourself happy even in the worst kind of world. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are experiencing that right now today. However, I just don't think that that romanticism was captured in this poem. So I agree with you, but I don't think it was executed in this poem. But I'm saying it's romantic, not romantic. Like they're not some beautiful yeah, love story. He's waking that, yeah. up drenched in sweat. You know, they're mm -hmm. just two people that are still together. Mm -hmm. But know? I mean, but that's so much more than so many people get. True. Mm -hmm. 
that like that like even you know like we're used to seeing old people as you know notice each other's old spots and lose their libidos as this kind of tragedy um or this kind of sentimentalized sadness and mm -hmm. set against being massacred dying in the street being unable to partner because the only person who visits you in prison is your father um i, I think that's the that's the tension that the poem is is trying to work on yeah Right. What's the, what is the Latin term again? Against the world? Yeah. Contramundum means against the world, which, you know, again, like, and, and only because we read the first poem, but that's the only part of the poem that sounds like a 70s power ballad, right? Again, like the two of us against the world. Like if that's the idea. That's in Latin. Don't even do that. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like if that's by putting it in Latin. But it also, it also cannot be the title of the episode. I, that's it. We've saved it from Bon Joviism. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, it also has the sense of um, in defiance of general opinion, according to yes. me. That it's, it's not simply, you know, mm -hmm. a, a locational thing, but mm -hmm. actually like everyone else thinks one thing and you think another. Now, if he had been titling his albums that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of slippery when wet, we could have gone with. <laughs> oh my! Oh, you know what, guys? I mean, we're in it, right? But I think this was a difficult one to discuss without our, our knowing that our listeners could be looking at it. You know, it's yeah. pretty yeah. complicated. Um, this is a complicated poem, but I'm wondering if we're ready to vote. I want. I'm feeling kind of that people might be where they are. I mean, we, I feel like we could discuss this for three days or we could vote now. You know what I bet? You know, happening. both those things could happen. How long ago was this submission sent? Maybe a few months, maybe? Yeah, oh, yeah. why would that? I don't well, know. because I bet the poet, if the poet looked at this poem again, it seems like there's something not there that could make the poem what it's supposed to be. <laughs> and I wonder if we just said, if we voted the saying, can we give that poet the opportunity to add that element? I do also think that some just logical edits need to be made because when I was reading the part about the little boy, like talking about how his lungs are expanding, like if it's a bomb full of nails, his lungs would have been punctured and they would not be expanding. So like, it's just that kind of small stuff too. Aren't his lungs expanding with the blood? The blood is what's blowing up his lungs. Yeah. And in the rhyme of the ancient mariner, if he actually had an albatross around his neck, he wouldn't be able to move because albatrosses are six feet tall. <laughs> right, I, right. I won't forgive on that one. <laughs> the thing that's working, I mean, I, I'm really in love with this line at the end, finally the urgency of love making left us. This has a line, but in this moment, it seem to have this... I bet it's a habit that happens in all of the poets' poems <laughs> that the last 10 lines are way better than the rest of it. It seems like no. you're working up to this momentum where you get this great payoff and then the payoff feels so good you forget to look at the first <laughs> And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just feel like there's going to be some point where that's going to click and, the, and then the whole poem is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. 
So are, are we talking about actually like kind of deferring and saying to the poet, like, um, we love your ambition. We think that we understand your project, but we want more connective tissue and a little more explicitness. Is that, is that kind of what we're talking about? That's what Tim's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim is I, tremendous. I am not talking about that. I don't know if that's more respectful or less respectful. I don't, I don't know if, yeah, I, if no, I'd rather I, get a, a letter to Tim now. I'd rather get a letter yeah. to Tim. I respect okay. your ambition, but hey, uh, we couldn't really follow you. <laughs> Um, as, as we discussed at some point in this podcast, we really don't ask for edits as amorphous yeah. as what Tim's talking sure. about. Yeah. I, like you just said, that's, that's not, it's not fair. It, that's, that's a, I don't know, you know, that's an yeah. incredibly, that conversation doesn't make, I think we can only ask for edits when we can ask for concrete things like yeah. lop that off. Right. right. So in this case, I think that we should vote for this poem as is. And if we're not in it, we're not in it. And if we are, we are, right? Right? Am I alone? No, you're, I'm, I'm with do you. It. And yes. we do it with love and we do it with respect. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, are we ready? One, two, three, votes. Okay, did not make it in. Aww. So close, did not make it. So close and did not make it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very sorry, Taylor Altman. Okay, we've got one more, and I don't even know how there's no segue between um, any of these poems, actually, because Taylor Altman's first two don't uh, didn't correlate in, in, in matters of theme or, or anything, right? So this one is um, coming at us in a completely other way. Um, and it's by Heather Sager, and it's called Green. Who would like to read this? I'll go. I can do it. Okay. Oh. Go ahead, Jason. Okay. Green. After staring down those amphibious creatures, their sad, mute eyes dimly reflecting my own, I picked one up and smacked him on the lips. Into woods, ponds, I chase, collecting and admiring tone of skin, angling of protuberances, the feel of shifty, leggy treasures. Nearby, hard-shelled soldiers rose, showing dilapidated orange mouths. My father ran at me with a shovel once to free a pinched limb. I wiggled free, he tapped the large shell. Still, there I remained, watching my parade, sentient, croaking, green. All right. The shift in the poem from frogs to turtles was confusing at first for me, definitely. There's, there's no real like definite line where we're talking about frogs and then we're talking about turtles. Miranda. Yes. Nearby, hard-shelled soldiers rose. I mean. That's when we, that's when the turtles show. True. But it's like the enjambment on nearby made it feel more connected. Okay. To the top. I, kind no, of I think I think we should publish this and call it the amphibian issue. Don't we have all other frog stuff? Did we in the monsters issue? Right. right? It's the frog tongue lady, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Frogs. Frogs are a thing. 
Was this for the monsters issue or is this no, just a general no. submission? Okay. I'm kidding. But the amphibian issue would be kind of interesting. See what we no, Please do not have an amphibian theme, please. No. no. <laughs> Don't make it free for amphibians. We love you, Kathleen. No. <laughs> Frog. <laughs> you ever, anyone Wrong. kissed a frog? Who has kissed a frog? Anybody? I might have. I've grabbed a frog. Really? <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I might have kissed a frog. I, I can't imagine that I haven't. No. Really? Yeah. Kissed a frog. I've known you forever. You have not kissed a frog. You think? No. Why? Why would you kiss a frog? Because if because if you kiss a frog, you know know what might happen. You, you do. You, you do. do know what's going to happen. You exactly know what's going to happen. Everything in the world conspires to you. Okay, if, if, if I'm eleven and I'm in the woods. If I'm eleven and I'm in the woods and there's okay. no internet. You're, a, you're not catching a frog, and B, ew, right? Like if you're eleven, you are so not anywhere coming near a frog. <laughs> what are you? I used to be so upset by the the stretching right. of the skin, the, the way the frog kind of inflates that lower. Because um, I was always I was always really terrified of balloons. Mm. And, um, <laughs> like frogs are just like these living balloons that I'm waiting for them to pop, and it's just it's horrifying to me. I know what you're dreaming about tonight. Have you seen frogs on? It really looks like, like phone cords, like little black phone cords, like the old phone yeah. cords. Like it's when, like, I, when it's I was a little kid, we used to have where I went to. I, I, it wasn't elementary school because it was England, but. Um, you would grow tadpoles like you always like mm -hmm. every classroom had. Sure tadpoles that were growing into frogs and it was kind of amazing to watch and you'd think that would make me not afraid of frogs because I love tadpoles yeah I love Kermit the frog that makes sense I once saw a frog eat another frog really really yeah oh, okay 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 <laughs> I've now convinced myself that I did kiss a frog I'm sure of it all right ladies and gentlemen let's get back to this poem <laughs> I'm gonna ask my brothers I saw a guy in Alabama when I was a kid kiss a chicken. <laughs> I mean, kiss a what? Traumatized. A chicken? It was a yeah, it was traumatizing yeah. to see it. Yeah, it's not gonna. That's not gonna go well. I feel like I've twirled a chicken over my head. Oh right, and I I reiterate green. After staring down those amphibious Right? Yeah. Well, unless, yeah. unless it is a one to one, the speaker is in fact a frog. Into woods, ponds I'd chase, collecting an admiring tone of skin, angling. Okay, so definitely a human being. Fair. Definitely a human being. being. Of shifty lighting. No frog's dad could covet you with a shovel. Well, isn't, is it possible that a turtle shell has a shovel protuberance? I don't know. Perhaps <laughs> nearby. I thought you were the one who wanted to get back to the poem. <laughs> I am I'm trying. My father ran at me with a shovel. That's fucking terrifying. Why would a man run at his child with a shovel? Uh, to free the pinch limb. Snapping. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? My father ran to me with a shovel. I mean, the no, I get it. I get the confusion. It's, I get it's the, actually so the, to me with a shovel. Yeah, but the, the child actually feels like maybe the dad's running at her yeah. with a shovel. To free, to free a pinch limb is a really tortured way of saying the turtle has bitten him or her, correct? If it's a turtle that's pinching, it's going to... Maybe a little boxing turtle but, doesn't, but a snapping turtle, that's gonna, that could. We don't know what kind do of turtle it is. Serious though. damage. It wouldn't just pinch yeah. you. Hey guys, uh, I don't think she was being bitten by the turtle. I think she was trapped. I in think what? Under the turtle. I think that the turtle had pinched her 
her arm or a leg. The you know what I mean? Just the turtle's body. How big do you think the turtle is? This is not, this is like a... It's a pond. Yeah, I don't yeah, think they're that trapped. big. Yeah, they're little, they're little like swimming. They're little turtles. Oh. There are a lot of them. The I mean, size of your head. There's like the size of your head. Slider turtles. Oh. They're like the size of like a like one of the big candles from Bath yeah. and Body Works. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's very little. I thought she got herself in an awkward position in the pond and yeah. somehow was you know what I mean? Like the turtle was pinching her up against a rock or something. You know what I mean? I mean if it's a turtle, like big. on the side of the I, on the end. Yeah, that's a sea turtle, probably, and also. But you just said deadly. it was a tiny turtle. Well, right, but it, that's well here because dilapidated orange mouths. Because snapping turtles don't have orange mouths, but then the pinched would mean like big enough to do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't. I you like you, you all think she's getting bit by the turtle. Yeah, I feel like ah. we get it. <laughs> it only makes sense to tap because right if you hit the turtle the turtle goes in its shell yeah right. so it only makes sense that you're hitting your the, the the father is tapping the large shell to make the turtle withdraw into the shell right. so if it's, right. if it's the body of the turtle that's pinning the speaker it doesn't make any sense to tap the turtle you just roll it out of the way jason uh, jason wait 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 it says i wiggled free he tapped right. the large shell in that order. Like okay. she got free on her own and dad still tapped the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> he wiggled free first. Is that just poor construction? I don't know. What I like is. But I mean, that's why I didn't have it biting her. I wiggled free. Doesn't sound like what you would do to get out of the mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. That sounds like what you would yeah. do. Uh, trap. It sounds like you're right. And trap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I like the idea of um, of this little girl having this much communion with yeah. the um animals in the ponds near her home. I like that a lot. And I like that um, the father is overprotective, but we see that there's also a reason for him to worry. Yeah. And we also see that if he just left things alone, she'd probably get out of it. So we see this yeah. dynamic with that's the real struggle of parenthood. Right. Is that there is something dangerous out there that'll get you. But you gotta let's see how things work out a little bit before you yeah. intervene. Right. She goes free first and then she stays there. She's not so freaked out that she's you know, she's still there. I yeah. remained. She's still digging, watching her amphibious friends. <laughs> you know, I don't think it was a big traumatizing moment. No, but it was Potentially for the father. It could stay, yeah, it right, right, right. That, that trouble between parents and children. Yeah. Of wanting to get too involved, want to fix their problems too much. It's, I mean, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard tightrope to walk. Sure. So the details for that stanza, whether she's trapped or pinched, I feel like would be a concrete edit if we say, could, is it, could it, something be made to make it a little more clear because the poem works anyway. But that's just a little confusing right there. It wouldn't mm -hmm. change the meaning of the poem. Unless she's trapped and then it would be <laughs> a, an unrealistic image. Yeah. Because no one is scared of getting trapped by a turtle. <laughs> I am terrified of that. that <laughs> Jason is terrified of balloons. <laughs> <laughs> balloons are scary. <laughs> <laughs> 
They're weird. Inhale them They're while you're trying to blow up and aspirate. They can pop yeah. and like, I, yeah. I all right, you guys are fine with balloons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that sound they you make know, though when you rub them together. Oh. I don't digress too much, but everyone talks about you shouldn't let balloons go because they'll end up in the water and right. choke sea turtles. I was on a fishing boat about two years ago <laughs> and I saw a balloon floating in the water and I joked to my brother, hey, look, some turtle's gonna choke. <laughs> and then we went about 50 yards further and there was a big mother sea turtle headed straight for it. <laughs> so, oh. Do anything about it and I almost had a heart attack. Oh. Poor turtle. I, Why would you I share should, that story I, if I, you didn't save the turtle? Oh, if I could have, I, I can't just leap into <laughs> We also saw a shark about a minute away. I couldn't leap in the shark infested waters for it. What kind of shark? Turtle. Because some probably, sharks don't really care. How big was this the shark? shark cared. This shark was Are you saying that you couldn't feet. fight off a shark? Come on. All Sam. this time. No. <laughs> Later that day, I fought off a shark. Do not fight with sharks. The Bobby Cuckoo Clock went off during that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Right. I just shall that be noted. I just want to note that. I like pushes the hands forward <laughs> and sit <it happens>. okay. <laughs> happy. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, no, the Cuckoo Clock is wrong. We're yes. done. Okay. We're going to vote on this. Yes. Shall we? Yes. Are we voting? Sure. Okay. One, two, three, vote. Oh, Heather Sager did not make it in. Oh, wow, I think this is, you know, I do love wow. first, but this is kind of a sad first. This is such a bummer. This is the bummer issue. Yeah. No, all, all three. So, yeah, this is the sadness episode. I've heard um, sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Glad well, I there's there's always a first. <laughs> there's a first time for everything. Um, I do really do need to wrap it up though. We've been at it for a while here, so uh, let me say thank you to all you. Great, great episode. Thanks, guys. And, it's good to be back. Yeah, so good to have you again. Um, so to remind our listeners, you can look at these uh, poems at pbqmag.org. And um, if you send us a self-addressed damned envelope, we will send you a fun sticker that you can put on your water bottle or your laptop. It might even fit on your phone. Some people carry these big phones anymore, right? The phones are growing. But um, also, send us any questions you might have because we're gathering them for a special question and answer episode that we'd like to do uh, soon. So um, I think that's it. Is that it? Okay. woo -hoo! Thanks, everyone. This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information, Resources, and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.